Good evening, everyone. Good evening, good evening. Good to see you all. Hope everybody had a good Thanksgiving. I had a great vacation. Thank you for asking. We, uh, my wife and I and the kids slipped away to Meg's head for a little while. And uh, had some nice quiet time and some rest and uh, just, just some of that much needed time. And it was a major blessing. And then uh, Thursday, we went to my mom. She lives in Colonial Heights and uh, had Thanksgiving with my family. Got to see um, my sister and, and her family as well. And just had a great time. So enjoyed it. So um, we're going we're gonna to wrap up with Proverbs chapter 16. And uh, I think you guys can probably pretty well guess that due to the size of chapter 16 and the rate that we have been progressing through these, um, we're not going to be able to thoroughly cover this chapter, but I'm going to make an attempt and we'll just see what happens. I'm not making any promises. We'll see, we'll see what happens. <laughs> so um, I'm going to give you guys a little bit of... Um, background on my wife and I to start tonight. Um, when Alina and I, uh, we, went to, we went to Crown College of the Bible, and that's in Powell, Tennessee, near Knoxville. And when we got married between our junior and senior year, and when, when we were finishing up, um, getting ready to graduate, um, I, I made a commitment that even though I was um, finishing school, I never, I never wanted to be done with my education. Um, so, uh, though I had been required to read a lot of books for college, I, I never, I was never a reader. That that just wasn't, that wasn't me. Um, I'd been required to read a lot of books for college, um, uh, but. I, I actually, to, to be quite honest with you, I'd, I'd never actually read an entire book from cover to cover that wasn't um, an assignment before college. Um, that I'd, I'd never done it. Um, in fact, many of the books that I was supposed to read in middle school and high school, I never actually read them. Um, just, just to be honest with you, um, I struggled with reading. Uh, I had a hard time sitting still and focusing. Uh, my mind would wander. Um, I had a, a teacher in high school that figured that out, and she kind of challenged me on that and helped me a great deal. But um, one of, if not the first, if my memory serves me correctly, one of the first books um, that I ever read that was literally just, I'm going to read this, um, was called The Oath by Frank Peretti. And it was recommended to me by a friend, and it's, it's kind of an odd choice if you know what that is. It's just fiction. Um, but um, I committed to start reading at 8 p.m. every night and read at least one chapter. And, and that's how I got started. And it wasn't long before I really got sucked into that story, sucked into the plot, and I began to read two or three chapters or even five chapters in a sitting and one night I stayed up until 2 a.m. and just finished the book uh, because I got hooked on it. Um, it was a really good story. Um, and then uh, I, I ended up reading several different books. And um, 
the next book that I read by that author, Frank Ferretti, was a book called This Present Darkness. Um, it wasn't for a few years later, um, but it's a, a really interesting book. And I'll just, I'll just read you the little summary uh, that I think is on the back of the book. I know it's on Amazon. It says, uh, Ashton is just a typical small town. But when a skeptical reporter and a pastor begin to compare notes, they suddenly find themselves fighting a hideous plot to subjugate the townspeople and eventually the entire human race. So there's two books in this series. The second one is called Piercing the Darkness, and both of them were uh, just incredibly interesting. Though it's been a long time since I've read these, um, uh, I, and I only remember bits and pieces. The, the one thing that really stood out to me is that the writer gave you the perspective to see with spiritual eyes. That's what made the books interesting. Somebody would say one thing to a person, but you as the reader would be able to see the true intent of their heart as something completely different. You could see what their spirit was communicating. Uh, Seemingly insignificant decisions uh, would have a character teetering on the balance of the pathway of good and evil in the the storyline. A little old lady would pray, but you as the reader would see the host of heaven move on their behalf. And I mean, it was just, it was just, I mean, it would give you chills because... Isn't it amazing to think that you can bow your knees and pray and ask God for something and the Almighty Creator says, go. And those angels move because of something that you asked Him for. And it was just just an incredible read. And, And the book really and truly highlighted the importance of walking in Christ and not leaning on our own understanding. Uh, and, and so often you would see this self-confident character make a decision with no counsel or no scriptural guidance, and it would always end in disaster. Proverbs chapter 16, and I'd love for you to have your, your Bible open and follow along with me tonight if you could. Uh, Proverbs chapter 16 and verses 1 through 3 is where we'll start. The Word of God says, The preparations of the heart in man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. So Solomon begins this chapter... I believe, with a reflection on some of the previous chapters that we've already talked about over the past several weeks. You remember we talked quite a bit about the tongue. Uh, you remember that, that he's, he's talked a great deal about our hearts. And we've talked a great deal about the fact that where those things come from and, and how they operate, it, it's all from the Lord. It's from the Lord. Then the key verse of the chapter, the big idea, if you will, is given to us in verse number two. All the ways of a man are clean 
in his own eyes. But the Lord weigheth the spirits. Why? Because the Lord sees spiritual and physical. He sees what's in the heart, not just what's on the outside like you and I see. He sees what we can't. You see, he's the author of the story. He's not just the character in the story. He sees the whole picture. He knows everything involved. He knows what's already happened, what's going on around the scene, and and how it's all going to end up. He knows exactly what course of action we need to take. And the beautiful part is... He wants to show us all the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. Could we pray once more tonight? Father God in heaven, Lord, I pray that you would help us as we walk through this this chapter of wisdom. I pray that you teach us. I pray that you would impart unto us what we need. Uh, Lord, I know that, that there is not a verse in your word without value. But God, no doubt, there is something in this chapter that we desperately need to learn from in this hour. Something that we need for tonight, for this week, for the upcoming month, for this holiday season. And I just pray that you would help us open our eyes. We can't understand any of this without you. None of it. We'd be wasting our time. But God, would you please, as the author, Lord, teach us tonight. Empty me of self. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Speak through me. Let none of my opinions get through, but only your truth. Lord, I pray for Brother Roy. Miss Rose and their family. I pray for the Cavico family. And I just pray for an extra portion of grace for them this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If I may, I, I want to um, I want to read you something out of the book of Judges. And I think it's going to help us find our way tonight. Uh, remember, we, we talked about the, the key verse here, the theme, the topic, the big idea is verse number 2 that says, All the ways of man are clean in his own eyes. Well, there's a very similar verse found in the book of Judges. It actually appears almost word for word twice in the book of Judges, uh, but we see it in Judges chapter 17, verse 6. It says, In those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. We see it repeated later in the end of the book. In those days, there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Now, as I look around the room, I know we've all heard that verse before. Okay, Uh, We've heard it so many times that in our minds, we impose certain ideas to that passage. There's condemnation already on our lips as we read that verse and we shake our heads. There's a negative tone 
just when you heard me read that verse, when I said, in those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes, there was negativity in our minds. I would encourage you to listen to this verse again, but listen to it with the ears and mind of a child. In those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. You know, it really doesn't sound that bad. It doesn't say every man did that which was wrong. It doesn't say every man did that which was evil. It doesn't say every man did that which was wicked or profitable or best for himself. It says every man did that which was right. Literally, righteous. Every man did that which was right. So if everyone did that which was right, how could that be a bad thing? Why do we need a king if everybody is doing right? Of course, the key lies in that last phrase that tags on to the end of that verse. If that wasn't there, we'd be okay. But it doesn't just say every man did that which was right. It says every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And that's where we get in trouble. You see, the great sin that is highlighted here is that they were singular. They were self-judging. They were self-justifying. They did not seek counsel. They lived life on their own terms. They weren't community-minded. It was every man and woman for themselves. Me and my family come first. I want to share with you a couple of very dangerous statements. They don't sound dangerous. They sound very innocent. In fact, we probably used them this week. Well, I don't see anything wrong with that. Or, well, that makes sense to me. Do you see what I'm getting here? Getting at here? I don't see. Or that makes sense to me. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. You see, that is the major problem that we see highlighted, not just in Judges chapter 17. It, it's actually the problem that is addressed in the first seven books of the Bible. You ever think of that? Adam and Eve, what did they do? They did that which was right in their own eyes. Why did Noah have to build an ark? Because man did that which was right in his own eyes. The entire book of Judges. But we're not supposed to live that way. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 says, I am crucified with Christ. I am crucified with Christ. That means executed, put to death. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, that means that all the 
Me is now dead, and the only thing left is Christ. When someone asks me what I think, wouldn't that be a great opportunity for me to tell them, not what I think, but what he thinks? That's what it means that I'm dead and all that's left now is him. Instead of saying, well, I believe, wouldn't it be better for us to answer, well, the Bible says. It's a hard habit to form, though. It takes work. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 7. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. This 16th chapter of Proverbs has got 33 verses in it. 33. Now, what I want to do this evening, or what I want to attempt to do, is give an overview of the chapter give a bit of an outline to help us get our bearings and then just just share a few things. The opening statements in the first three verses make one thing very plain. God is our guide. God must be, must be our guide. As as children, our, our earthly father is meant to be our guide. How to, he teaches us how to walk and, and, and how, to, how to keep your balance when, when you're learning that. How to put your clothes on and, and brush your teeth. And we're working on that with Desmond right now. Um, how, to, how to play catch and how to behave yourself and, and, and right and wrong. And how to navigate life and balance responsibilities. But as we mature, our Heavenly Father is meant to become our guide. Much in the same way that a parent directs a very small child. And a small child depends on that parent. We should behave in much the same way towards our Heavenly Father. But somehow we make that disconnect and we never truly come back to Him. It's very hard to do that. But Solomon reinforces this main thought by highlighting two things in this chapter. He highlights who God is, and he highlights why we should look at him in this manner. Why we should look at him in this manner. You'll see this recurring theme in this chapter of Proverbs of weights and scales and balance And those things being held in the Lord's hand. All the ways of man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. Verse 8. Better is a little righteousness, uh, better is a little with righteousness than great revenues without right. Verse 11. A just weight and balance are the Lord's, all the weights of the bag are his work. So the first thing that, that, that Solomon really tries to drive home is that God is omniscient. He knows all things, 
and he is just. Since he knows every side of the story, he's perfectly fair. Then we see the amazing paradox where God gives free will and exercises sovereignty at the same time. So not only is God omniscient and just, but number two, God is omnipotent, that is, He is all-powerful, and He is sovereign. That means he, He rules over all with complete authority. Now explain that one. Let let that sink in for just a minute. He's in control of all things, but he doesn't violate the free will of mankind. Mind-blowing. Let that one sink in. If you or I could explain him, he really wouldn't be God, so let's not dwell on that or we'll just be here all night. Um, One way you might outline this chapter could be this. Uh, First, he talks about our works belong to God in verses 1 through 9. By the way, verse 3 is a hidden gem of this chapter. Commit thy works unto the Lord and thy thoughts shall be established. If you're struggling in that area of your heart, your your mind, your thoughts, that is a a piece of golden advice. Uh, I can't can't get things stable. I can't get things straight. I'm having trouble with my thought life. Commit your works unto the Lord. The second section of this chapter is verses 10 through 20. That's, that covers the fact that our wisdom comes from God. And then in verses 21 through 33, our way is of God. But tonight, I want to go back to those two different attributes of God and explore them throughout this chapter if we could. I'd, I'd really like to take uh, that approach um, and, and really just talk about the fact, first off, That God is omniscient and He is just. God is omniscient and He is just. Because I don't don't know how much time this will take. And and we may even finish early. Who knows? But I just don't feel like we could explore both of these avenues and do either one of them justice. So, uh, God is omniscient and He is just. So, Let's go right back to verse 2, where we started. All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. Okay? So I gave you a couple of statements earlier. I don't see anything wrong with that. I'm not telling you that that is a sinful statement to make. But I am telling you that we need to consider what that means, okay? I don't see anything wrong with that, okay? Well, of course you don't. But we need to understand that very rarely do we see everything about any situation, okay? Of course we don't see anything wrong. We don't see the whole picture. We only see part of it. And that is almost always the case. Sometimes what you see is enough, but oftentimes it isn't. And that is why it is foolish to lean on our own understanding. That is why Solomon spends a great deal of time in the book of Proverbs urging us about the safety in a multitude of counselors. 
That is why he says that it is foolish to go through this life without seeking counsel and to make decisions, life-altering decisions, without getting godly counsel. What about, what about this one? Well, that makes sense to me. Well, let's face it. We like to feel good about ourselves. We really do. We like to think that we're at least pretty smart. We like to think that we have a good head on our shoulders and have a, a decent amount of common sense. And if you turn on the news or scroll through Facebook or take a stroll through Walmart, it makes you feel pretty smart. So um, you're not supposed to laugh at that. If you need a good measure of your good sense, while you're reminiscing this holiday season, take a look at what you wore to the Christmas party 20 years ago. And that <laughs> Miss Elaine, what a well-timed <laughs> Okay, anyway, yeah, that, that will just, that'll humble you real quick and say, okay, maybe I don't make the best choices all the time. In all seriousness, all we have to do is take an honest look in the past to know that our good sense isn't always trustworthy. And we don't need to explore those avenues, but we all know that we can look in our past and say, okay, maybe, maybe I'm not um, quite as sharp as I like to think that I am. Uh, wouldn't it be nice if we had access to a better, to a more perfect source of wisdom and good sense? I mean, if only there were some source not limited by time or space that we could somehow tap into. Great is our Lord, and of great power, His understanding is infinite. Psalm 147, verse number 5. Omniscience. Jennifer Carell said this, Omniscience is an excellent quality in God, but suspect in anyone else. Very true. Psalm 139, listen to this, verses 1 through 6. O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. And by the way, this, this is true of every one of us. Thou knowest my downsitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest, compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. There is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. James Dobson explained it this way. Listen to this. You get, this is a long quote, but, but listen, it's good. One of the most breathtaking concepts in all of Scripture is the revelation that God knows each of us personally and that we are in His mind both day and night. There is simply no way to comprehend the full implications of His love by the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, majestic, and holy from everlasting to everlasting. Why would He care about us, about our needs, our welfare, our fears? We have been discussing situations in which God doesn't make sense. His concern for us, mere mortals, is the most inexplicable of all. Isn't that good? The fact that He cares about us. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. Neither is there any creature... 
that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eye of him with whom we have to do. He knows and sees all of it. And, and not just the here and now, but everything that's taken place and everything that will take place. Every possible choice and avenue and decision that we could make, he already knows the outcome. So why would we not seek him and say, okay, God, which choice should I make? All the ways of man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. Simply put, do we trust his word more than our mind? Would you look at verse number 8 with me tonight? Verse number 8, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 8. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues without right. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues without right. Not only do we trust His Word more than our mind, but do we trust His Word more than our money? In this world, we are constantly inundated with the idea that money equals security. If I can just get enough, I'll be okay. I, I got to get my IRA and my 401k, and I got to make sure all that is saved up in my retirement, and I got to have my insurance, and I got to have my, my savings, and all that's got to be lined up. And I got to have my investments and all that. But don't misinterpret what I'm, what I'm saying here. Do I think you should be wise? Do, you, do I think you should be a good steward? Absolutely. But is that what Jesus taught? Does money equal security? Is that what Jesus taught? Is that what he emphasized to his disciples? On the contrary, as far as we know, Jesus actually had no job during his earthly ministry. And even went so far as to call his followers to quit their steady jobs in order to follow him. Sorry, that's not a popular message in most Western churches today. It's important that we don't take a knife and, and slice up this verse to fit our message, though. So let's take it in the full context. It says, better is a little with righteousness. Remember the scales? Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues without right. Riches are not wrong. He's not condemning money. So don't, don't let me misrepresent tonight. It is better that we were destitute but lived a righteous life than if we had chosen great riches and lived a life without righteousness. Because righteousness is of far greater value than great riches. Far greater value. That is the takeaway of this verse. 
That is what Solomon is teaching. Don't ever trade your integrity for money. There is no dollar amount for you can never buy it back. None. Jump down to verse 11 with me if you would. A just weight and balance are the Lord's. All the weights of the bag are His work. A just weight and balance are the Lord's. All the weights of the bag are His work. This is truly a beautiful picture. Now, consider what a balancing scale is. Consider what it is, okay? Now, you've, you've seen the statues in front of the courthouse, and they're holding the scale. You know what I'm talking about, the balancing scale, okay? It is literally, that scale is literally constructed to measure out rightness and fairness. It stands for equity, for equality. It is always unbiased and fair. That is its very purpose for existence, to reveal truth beyond question and to measure out justice. A just weight and balance are the Lord's. All the weights of the bag are His work. He owns the weights. He can control the balance. There's another verse that, that very closely relates to him that we've already gone over back in chapter 11. It says a false balance is an abomination to the Lord. It's something that he absolutely hates. But a just weight is his delight. A just weight, a, a fair and a correct weight, a perfectly even scale. You know, we look at situations in life that, that we don't understand. Whether it be the death of a child, the suffering of a loved one, a mass shooting, a natural disaster, an act of terrorism, human trafficking, you name it. And what do we say? We say, that's not fair. And why, why do we say that? Why is that the phrase that comes to our mind? And it does. It, it really does. This isn't the milk answer. This is the meat answer. And it's not easy, but it's true. Why do we say that? Because we don't know what he knows. And, and that really is the bottom line of it. Do we trust that his weights are measured? Do we really trust that he is just? Or do we look at God and say, He's not being fair? Because Deuteronomy chapter 32 says, He is the rock, His work is perfect. It says, His work is perfect. For all His ways are 
judgment, a God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is he. It says in Psalm 89, verse 14, justice and judgment are the habitation of thy throne. Mercy and truth shall go before thy face. He is justice. It says that his work is perfect. All of his ways are judgment or literally translated fair and just. There are going to be things that we, many of us, have already faced, we're going to face, maybe even be facing right now that we look at and say, I don't understand this. This doesn't seem fair. And sometimes in situations like that, we just have to realize, I don't understand, and I'm probably just not going to the side of heaven. But do we trust that his weights are measured? Because we don't know what he knows. That's where our faith grows. Because we have to face the reality. Are we going to believe all of the Bible or just parts of it? Jump down to verse number 16 with me if you would. Proverbs chapter 16, verse number 16. How much better is it to get wisdom than gold and to get understanding rather to be chosen than silver? Here we go again. We're back to the scales. How much better is it to get wisdom than gold? To get understanding rather to be chosen than silver? On one side we place gold. On the other side we place wisdom we discover that, hey, wisdom has more value than gold. On one side, we place silver. On the other, we place understanding. And we discover that understanding is weightier than silver. And in this verse, we are literally combining the principles from the first three verses that we've just looked at into one thought now. Do we trust His Word more than our minds? Do we trust His Word more than our money? Do we trust that His weights are measured? If we answer yes to all those questions, and this reads as a rhetorical statement. There are no question marks in this verse. Did you, did you notice that? These questions that are being asked when it says, how much better, there's not a question mark at the end of that. There's an exclamation point. Is that what it is in your Bible? When we see the value in His wisdom and we trust that He is omniscient and just, then having access to that wisdom and understanding becomes priceless. It is access to a better and more perfect source of wisdom and good sense. He is a source, not limited by time and space, that we can tap into anytime we want. God is omniscient and just. And Solomon is trying to drive that truth home that he knows it all and he's always going to be fair. But not only that, 
Not only does he know the answer, and not only is he always just, but God is omnipotent and sovereign. God is omnipotent and sovereign. Verse number four, the Lord hath made all things for himself, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. It says the Lord hath made all things. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. But it says the Lord hath made all things for himself. Okay. Well, how about Colossians chapter 1? For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things and by him all things consist. All things consist. It's an amazing statement. It's easy to pass over, but there's a lot packed into those words. Literally means everything's held together and in place and sustained. All things consist. Every planet, every moon, every star, every solar system, every galaxy, all of it, down to the smallest atom. By him all things consist. Did you know that if you were to magnify, let's say, a, a hydrogen atom... So that its nucleus were the size of a basketball. And I were to hold up that basketball right here in this room. The closest electron, hydrogen atom only has one electron. That, that electron would be on the new church property. In that one hydrogen atom, it would be that far away. If I were holding the nucleus of that atom. That's one atom. Doesn't, I mean, isn't that just mind-blowing, God's creation? And do you realize that that means that God is keeping that electron in its orbit around that nucleus and all those atoms in place to keep that element what it is, to keep it stable, every piece of it. Every piece of it. God puts all that together down to the most minute detail and keeps it going in harmony. R.C. Sproul said, if there is one single molecule in this universe running around loose, to totally free of God's sovereignty, then we have no guarantee that a single promise of God's will ever be fulfilled. Thank goodness I don't believe that's true. Revelation chapter 19, verse 6, the Bible says, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of a mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. You know the name Almighty means omnipotent. Almighty. Reigneth means that He is sovereign. He has authority over all. That last line of the verse, though, that we're talking about in Proverbs, the Lord hath made all things for himself, yea, even 
the wicked for the day of evil. Even the wicked for the day of evil. Even the wicked for the day of evil. I'm reminded of the phrase, but God meant it unto good. But God meant it unto good. Thomas Aquinas said, this is, the, this is part of the infinite goodness of God that he should allow evil to exist and out of it produce good. You see, God didn't make Joseph's brothers sell him into slavery, but God used it anyway. And it was still according to his plan. He can know that something is going to happen without causing it to happen. People have such a hard time distinguishing between the two. But he can use people's choices and change the circumstances around you. Proverbs chapter 16 verse 9. A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. You can plan out your life, and by the way, you should make plans, but you must realize that God is in control of everything else around you and your circumstances might change completely by the end of the day. Something my youth pastor used to say when I was growing up uh, was, make your plans in pencil. Um, Pretty good advice. Uh, God is omnipotent and God is sovereign. He has the power, he has the authority, and he has every right to exercise folks. Another uh, quote by R.C. Sproul, Most Christians salute the sovereignty of God, but believe in the sovereignty of man. Isn't that true? We'll hear about the sovereignty of God and we'll say, oh yeah. But then we see the sovereignty of God in action. And we're like, what? Last verse of the chapter, verse 33. The lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. This is a curious verse. The lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. And if you go back and read the chapter, especially that last portion of verses, verse 33 almost sneaks up on you and seems abrupt and out of place. If you read the verses leading up to that last verse, it's like, does this even belong in this chapter? Casting lots was a biblical practice that God... Uh, instructed on in the book of Numbers. It's, it's no longer necessary since we now have the Word of God and the indwelling Holy Spirit. Um, it, it honestly seems weird um, in our culture nowadays. It sounds like gambling. Uh, and though we don't know exactly, exactly what this represented down to the last detail, we do have a good idea. It was essentially the method for decision-making um, that today would look like a game of chance, kind of like flipping a coin or drawing straws. But the outcome in that time would have been committed to God and treated as God's final decision. We're going to do this. We're, we're, going, to, we're going to say, uh, they would say, we're going to do this. We're going to, we're going to cast lots. We're going to draw straws, however, whatever format they chose. And, and we're going to ask God, God, show us what to do here. And whatever choice is made, 
we're going to accept it, Lord. And that's, that's how the decision-making process was done. And they would do it according to the instructions they were given by God. This verse was saying that the lot is cast, which is done by a man's hand. But the final result is determined by the Lord. Let me read that again because it's important that we, we catch that. The verse is saying that the lot is cast, which is done by a man's hand. That's the part that's, 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 that's our role. But the final result is determined by the Lord. Because at that point, once you let go, whether it's flipping a coin or throwing dice or whatever you want to call it, at that point, it's no longer in my hands. Okay, Lord. you got to read this with a Jewish mind rather than a Western one. Because if we were to go back to the days of Solomon and read that verse, none of that explanation would have been necessary. This would have been a blatantly obvious statement even to an uneducated child of those days. Solomon was not teaching about casting lots because everybody knew what that meant. Everybody. Solomon was using common knowledge to illustrate a point. So we can't get hung up in that. we got to say, what is he pointing at? In the last section of verses, even the last third of the chapter, Solomon is going over several points of how we live our everyday lives. The way the way we live, if you will. Let's, let's look at a few for example. Verse, uh, verse 27. An ungodly man diggeth up evil. Verse 28. A froward man soweth strife. A whisperer separateth friends. Verse 29. A violent man enticeth his neighbor. Verse 32. He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. Solomon is reminding us that there comes a point in our lives where our lot has been cast. Our lives are what they are. We have revealed ourselves to be what we are, and it is now in the Lord's hands what will become of us. Because God is sovereign. And that statement is one of the most confronting, comforting, and terrifying truths in all of the world. We will answer to God for our every action. But I want to share something with you, and this is a quote by Jerry Bridges. No plan of God can be thwarted. When He acts, no one can reverse it. No one can hold back his hand or bring him to account for his actions. God does as he pleases, only as he pleases, and works out every event to bring about the accomplishment of his will. Such a bare, unqualified statement of the sovereignty of God would terrify us if that were all we knew about God. But God is not only sovereign. He is perfect in love. 
and infinite in wisdom. Isn't that beautiful? Daniel chapter 4 verse 35. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? God is sovereign. But his sovereignty is such a beautiful thing. The way that he cares for us. Like we are his precious children. I'll leave you with one more quote. We'll close in prayer. And I just thought this was beautiful. Trust his sovereignty at all times. Let not the clay question the potter. Isn't that good? God is omniscient and just. God is omnipotent and sovereign. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, Lord, we praise you for who you are tonight. God, you are so far above and beyond us. And you are worthy of every word of praise that we could speak. Thanksgiving is past, but may our gratitude not cease. May our praise continue. May that spirit permeate our lives each and every day. When Satan would whisper in our ears like he did long ago and point out what we do not have, remind us of all you've given us. Remind us to be grateful. For you have been so good to us. Thank you for who you are. We love you. And we thank you most of all for the precious gift of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you'd help us to live in such a way that you'd be pleased with our life. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.